Welcome to My Music Podcast, a podcast where we sit down with Michigan musicians and pick their brains on a surfeit of topics involving music. I'm one of your hosts, KJ. And I'm your other host, Scott. You're throwing me off with that word. <laughs> what surfeit? Yeah, you gotta give me a definition here. It just means like everything I've been saying. Yeah, a plethora, a cornucopia. No, I actually knew surfeit. It's just one that I don't use. Cool. I just say plethora. Yeah. Okay. Anyways. Right. Anyways, yes. <laughs> Today with us. We have singer, songwriter, frontman of Overdrive Orchestra, creator of my favorite title of an album ever, Nostalgia is Killing Us, the one and only Chris Cranick in the room. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I'm excited for this. So, so Chris, I, just right off the bat, I want to ask where you got that, that title of the album from. I think I've told you this before in passing. Of like, I just love that title. Yeah. Um, I think nostalgia is a, a great word in general, uh, obviously an even cooler definition of what that word is. Um, and when I wrote that album, I, I didn't really know like where I was going with it. It kind of ended up being a, a breakup record, more or less. And uh, I kind of like summed it all up that the end of that relationship is like we were trying to hold on to stuff uh, from the past and that was like killing the relationship. So oh, nostalgia is killing us. Okay. In my life, I was trying to find my purpose. I thought perhaps I could find it with you by my side. My thoughts perhaps were foolish, optimistic, and unreal. But still, they are mine. Yeah. I was thinking of it more from just like a pop culture perspective of just like, I feel like everybody just wants the old days back, you know? Oh, absolutely. That uh, That's part of it, too. And I think after I came up with a name, I kind of noticed that even more. Yeah. And uh, I, like, can't escape the whole the whole shtick. Yeah. No, it's perfect. It's a perfect album title. That one, uh, I started recording back in uh, 2017. Okay. And I did it all myself. Uh, cool. My, my parents' old house kind of led into the uh, nostalgia thing. And uh, I did get it mixed and mastered elsewhere, but that was kind of just like, um, at that point, I just wanted to prove that I could do everything myself, mm-hmm. yeah. and so I did it. And was that one's mainly like acoustic, though, right? Yes, very much. much. Yeah, yeah, not um, as much like electric. Some songs, do, do they all have drums, or some of them are just guitar? No, there's a lot that are just guitar. Yeah, um, I, I had thought. like some shaker and stuff. Right. But Okay. So that kind of leads you to this. Does that lead us to this that's, album? Yeah, then? that's exactly what I'm cool. thinking of. The so second let's, album. Let's go there because this one sounds. From I've listened to this one quite a bit, and it's quite a lot more than just a acoustic guitar, some shaker. Yeah. So yeah. tell us about this one. So this one um, was interesting. I had uh, a bunch of songs that I never got to when I did Nostalgia, and um, I was in a much different headspace this time around. Um, I didn't really plan on. I'm working on another solo record just yet. I mean, we had with Overdrive Orchestra just dropped a studio album like a month, month and a half before the pandemic. And we were like balls to the wall playing shows for that one. So when it all came to a halt and I was just kind of sitting at home twiddling my thumbs, I was like, well, I guess I'll work on more solo stuff. And um, I initially was gonna work with the same producer I worked with before. And uh, it kind of just got to a point where um, I just wanted to get it out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that, I feel like that's kind of what I do with my solo music. It's very cathartic, and I kind of have to, I have to do it right when it's, when I'm feeling it. And uh, 
so yeah, I, I linked up with uh, Third Coast Recording, a uh, good buddy of mine, Kevin Kozell. And um, thankfully, some of my favorite musicians that I played with in the uh, Blue Water Kings wedding band, uh, they just so happen to have connections with that studio. So I was able to link up with Dutcher, Snedeker on keys, and um, Scott Pellegrim on drums, and I was able to have them kind of flesh out the rhythm section. I definitely wanted like a more full sound. It's uh, definitely a different mood than the first album, so I figured different instrumentation. Um, they kind of complement each other, I guess, in a way. But uh, yeah, just uh, whatever idea we had, we just rolled with it. And uh, it didn't matter that it was just me writing the songs. I was like, I want a full band sound. Yeah. Did they bring, I mean, did you have m- most of what you wanted it to sound like already in your head? Or did they bring some of their creative vision as well? Um, tell me about that, because I can imagine you could kind of go one or two ways. Like, you know, like this is kind of the bass line I'm thinking about. This is the, the, the drum treatment I'm thinking about. Or, or the opposite, like, hey, bring what you have. So how did it go? For sure. Um, I definitely had some ideas with uh, at least like rudimentary uh, drum beats. I had uh, like some loops that I put on the demos. Some demo stuff, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Scott picked up on that really well. There were some songs that he played right to what I had. He's like, that already sounds good. To um, specify, not this Scott. <laughs> Scott yeah, Pellegrim? Is that Scott Pellegrim, okay, yeah. Right, yeah. Scotty P. We'll call him, we'll call him Scott. <laughs> there, <you> go, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> there we go. Um, but yeah, he's, he's a phenomenal drummer. He might be the best drummer in the state. Cool. And I, I didn't want to give him too many limitations. Same with Dutcher. Um, I'm not that much of a keyboardist at all. Uh, very rudimentary. So I just let Dutcher kind of go to town. I had maybe two ideas that I was like, I need to hear this on the song. I mean, those guys are pros. I mean... Absolutely. Yeah, just that's what they do. Press record and say, you know, <laughs> just add your sauce to it. Yeah. What about the, the Blue Water Kings band? Because I think Elijah, Elijah mentioned that too. Us, I'm yeah. just like, man, it seems like there's a lot of connections through that. I, I, I never heard of it, to be mm-hmm. quite honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's very cool. It's like a, a community more than a band. I mean, there's at least 50 cats in the state of Michigan alone that play with them. Um, I started off on the east side when I was still living just north of Ann Arbor, and um, I've met some of the coolest people, let alone like amazing musicians, through that group, and uh, it really opened my eyes to like what you can do within the industry. Like it is the closest thing that I can say to like an office job yeah. playing music, like right. nine to five. Like you get paid well to do it, but because you're playing with different people every time. Uh, it, it never gets boring if you're playing like Uptown Funk every show or whatever. Right. Um, but then conversely, like you find these pockets of musicians that you're like, oh, I really want to play with them. It's and like, right. let's connect later kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's it's just a really cool community. I also so, want to know more about uh, recording at Third Coast because that's, that's a proper studio. I mean, a lot of us here in, in Grand Rapids are kind of cobbling together a studio to do what we need to do but that's a that's a yeah that's a professional studio there yeah it was it was no joke um so yeah obviously i did my first record by myself um and then when i recorded electric mind with overdrive orchestra we did that at a professional studio but it was still uh in a basement so you guys did that with uh jeremiah jeremiah right? pilgrim yeah, yeah up at white, uh, white elephant records oh, okay. and yeah Super cool experience. Like we we loved the vibe of it being a house. We were very comfortable, um, but there were certain limitations with doing it in a home studio environment. I think the biggest thing was just that it, it took longer than mm. I personally would have liked to take. 
I could also, you could say that I maybe rush on something. So <laughs> maybe it worked yeah. out in the end. But uh, yeah, I wanted to, I knew what my budget was and I knew what my timeline was. And Third Coast was the place to go. Um, I mean, I actually was in a situation where I had to cut down the track list and like actually pick the best songs because I didn't want to go broke recording yeah, yeah. it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they just everything is at your fingertips. Cool. Um, it's it's incredible. We had like a, a circle of pianos and keyboards for Dutcher. Wow. And it's just uh, even even there in a professional setting, you, you feel very comfortable, which is I think the most important thing when you're in the mm-hmm. studio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool watching some of your Instagram posts, um, you know, just some of the photos that you post and like, you know, it's easy to get jealous. Is, is jealous the right word? <laughs> no, jealous is jealous, the right yeah. word. You can say, yeah, you were jealous. <laughs> You've seen all the cool shit he yeah, was doing. Cool like, stuff. damn, I wish we could have did that for our album. I wish we could have been there. <laughs> it looked cool. So maybe that's like a, yeah. a thing to shoot for at some point. No, definitely. I don't know if we could work that fast, you and I. Oh, uh, hell no. No, no way. I we're mean, we're well, too meticulous, dude. Well, <laughs> I, don't, I would say we're not as professional. We're not as professional, yeah. yeah. I think that's what it is, yeah. yeah. We definitely want to do things our way. Well, uh, you can definitely do stuff any way you'd like. I mean, in my situation, uh, again, like with time and money being kind of limitations for me, I actually recorded all the guitars first, which is like not normal. Right, usually it's like the percussion did you, track. You did it to a, a click track? I did. We talked about uh, doing this for yeah, our yeah. next thing, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then Scotty came in and laid drums down uh, day two, like, very unconventionally. He didn't have any <laughs> lyrics to follow. Like he was just vibing with the sounds, right. which was really cool. That's dope, yeah. That's cool. Uh, Can so, you do like a hundred takes of one bass line? I guess if you're paying the money, they're like, yeah, do another take, yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I played bass along with Scotty playing drums and it was extremely intimidating because I'm not a bassist and I probably put the least amount of thought into the bass lines and I had like a night to think of what I wanted to do. Yeah, Sometimes and, that's just like, the, you know, pressure, good, just yeah. like, okay, got to do it. Yeah. Here we go. You don't have like the luxury of like, ah, that wasn't so great. Right. Know? Yeah. Yeah, well, definitely. Just kind of roll with it. Yeah. I'm, there's yeah. a couple things on there that I'm like, ah, I could have done that better, but. In the mm. whole soup of the mix, you can't notice. I mean, if the vibe's there and the like, you know, the energy, all yeah. the little, I mean, go back to listen to those Stones albums from way back when. There's so many flubs here and there. It's like, <laughs> you don't even notice it though, because yeah. it's just the vibes there. Same thing with James Brown records too, oh, man. Yeah, flubs, any, yeah. any of those records yeah. prior to Pro Tools where you could go and punch in every little thing that you want, you know? Yeah. Chris, so are you thinking for your next project with Overdrive Orchestra, because this is for your solo project where you went to studio, are you thinking about doing the same thing with the band too? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that was a very positive experience and uh i think as long as like we have our stuff down pat like it will not be an issue as long as you're well rehearsed you can go in there track it live and then um in like in our case we don't want to do too many overdubs just like what's tasteful Mm -hmm. um obviously still want to have like a high production value but i mean we did so many overdubs on the last record and it sounds great it's amazing oh yeah it sounds fantastic Uh, no regrets but uh, again, just like the time factor, I would like it to be just a little bit more streamlined. So yeah. um, I don't know if we'll end up at Third Coast or not, but definitely would like to take it to a proper studio. Are you guys sort of prepping towards that now that you, you know, the next, I think the next show you have is with Overdrive Orchestra, yeah? Yeah, yeah. We, um, I think we're actually going to play a new song at the uh, Pyramid Scheme cool. on the 30th. Um, that'll be fun. Um, we actually started 
during the pandemic kind of shooting demos across um, virtually and um, kind of building the songs that way. We were able to get together a handful of times last year and start hashing those songs out live in uh, our rehearsal space. So we're definitely making our way there. Cool. Right on. Yeah. You want to get to it, KJ? I get think we should the, get to it. That's yeah, a good that, little that was, introduction. Yeah, that's a nice I mean, I could keep asking questions <laughs> I know, as right? I'm trying to get to know all these, <laughs> these you know, awesome yeah. musicians I've never met before. Yeah, yeah. So, so Chris, so the, the first topic we want to dive into, and the reason why I thought of this was like, so we just put out a second, our sophomore project, you put out your sophomore project, and it just got me to thinking about like evolving as an artist and, and thinking about like how you were kind of acoustic on that first project. And then like me, me personally, like hearing this, I didn't know what to expect. And it was like obviously way more electric and all the stuff we just talked about. So I wanted to talk about like, is it important for an artist to evolve? Uh, and I guess I'm thinking more sonically, or, but it could be like a persona too. Like just, is it important for an artist to go from that, to make that jump from album to album? Oh, absolutely. Uh, personally, I think so. Um, I mean, some of my favorite bands and artists have evolved over the years and you can still like they're still them. You know, mm-hmm. right. your voice is your voice. Your instrument is your instrument. Um, you don't ever want to be like stuck in that in that one thing. And especially like with my first album being so acoustic, I did not want to be just stuck as like, oh, he's a folk singer. Right, right, exactly. Like, yeah, but I can do these other things too. Yeah. Well, so give me an example of like a, a band that you think has like evolved in a, in a, in a good way. Because I think we could go the other way and talk about maybe where it's we not talk, as... We're going to talk about both. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> For sure. Um, I guess uh, off the top of my head, Queens of the Stone Age. I mean, those first couple records they did, it was kind of like an extension of Caius. Caius, yeah. With like the really drop tune guitars. Yeah. And I don't know if they've had a drop tune song in the last like eight, nine years. Mm-hmm. It's really cool to hear how their sound has evolved. They went through like a phase where they played like exclusively hollow body guitars and mm-hmm. you have to deal with all the limitations of like getting feedback and all that, especially playing such loud music. And then their last album, Villains, they worked with Mark Ronson. Like, yeah. I can't believe I even just said that. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, I didn't even remember. Oh, man. Yeah. We the uptown funk god himself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> saw them at 20 Monroe they were so loud I think three guitar players oh wow oh man yeah they were putting out volume it was cool it was cool I bet that was a sweet show it was intense but it was good yeah it's interesting you know I, I feel like the, the thing that I think about with that and you talking about that is like I think as musicians and artists we always think that right if like yo you gotta evolve you gotta keep going like that's the point of making art so when you could be done you could be like look at all this shit that I did and the range of it mm-hmm. but I think a lot of times from perspective of like a fan or an audience sometimes they kind of like turn their nose up like what the hell is this shit you know what i mean but i think it more so um like depends on on genre too it could possibly be but yeah for instance i'm thinking about you personally where like somebody might have really liked nostalgia is killing us going to second album being like cool i'm gonna get that folk vibe you know acoustic and then they turn on they're like yo this isn't it (laughs) perfect example uh um like bob dylan like when he went electric you know like booing him and being like what the hell is this like you are not an artist you know mm-hmm. um so when it comes to that i'm like man that, that's the hard part of evolution that i think about of just like what the what the people want sometimes mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know for sure is that something you thought about at all or you're just like i'm just gonna keep making i mean 
it's a different maybe um, level of of pressure when you're you know a assigned artist to like a major label versus you know some, some local artists where maybe the the expectation isn't high. But did you think about that much like making that transition? Like, what will the listeners think? It definitely crossed my mind, and I've definitely thought of some people in particular uh, that I've met in the last few years, and I was like, this might not be their cup of tea. Like, they really enjoyed the acoustic stuff. But uh, yeah, over the last couple years, um, I've kind of realized that my intuition is pretty spot on, so even though there are going to be people that won't like this one as much as the last one, um, I've just been... Like, not trying to pat myself on the back, but I've been proven time and time again that if I just go with my gut, it's going to be good. Right. And I think that kind of goes back to being true to yourself as an artist, as well as just, like, I try to be as honest and, like, kind of open my my heart as much as I can. Well, you're bringing up a good point that I'm sort of, my mind is expanding on now, and I think it all comes down to, like, authenticity. I think Mm -hmm. some artists, the evolution that they, they make is very authentic and real where um, some ar- other artists, they're, they're reaching for something. That's true. And they're changing their sound to reach for that. It's an audience. It's uh, crossing genres, um, radio play, when that was a thing. Yeah. And it didn't come off as authentic. And then the fans noticed that. That's very true. Yeah, I think of, like, uh, obviously just thinking big stars, but, like, Prince and Bowie, right? Like, I feel like they're very authentic in what they did. And even if you didn't like it, it feel like it was very much, like, true to what they're doing. And some people are gonna hate me for this, but like I feel, like, I feel like the evolution of like a Lady Gaga, or something like. Sometimes mm. when she does stuff or like you know wears meat at the, the, you know the Grammys and all that, I don't know something about her artistry sometimes right. just feels very forced. And she's a great musician, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. So I'm not talking about her mm-hmm. music. I'm more so talking about like the persona she puts on. Of like I think that's a little bit harder when you get into like the pop realm, yeah, like the Miley Cyruses and all the people in that sort of genre of music i feel like that's exactly what they're trying to do is like true stay in the twitter feed yeah. or whatever what about like a indie artist can we think of like any type of like indie artist saint vincent has like evolved over the years right and yeah. i think for the most part people have sort of floated along with her yeah i mean i was thinking and we sort of talked i have to like get a bell sound for every time we talk about tame impala or red hot chili peppers <laughs> i was literally thinking those two examples yeah because um, yeah. tame impala um, are, are you a Parker. tame fan first i of all? love okay tame. all right okay all right we're gonna we're gonna let's just let's just go there scott let's just do it do you want to like let's just get my it. boxing let's gloves just, on yeah let's just do it let's talk about tame impala I mean, how you Kevin hate the, how you hate the evolution of yeah, tame impala yeah. well hate's a strong word but <laughs> you dislike uh the slow rush Yeah, not not a fan. Um, but I think at the same time, I think it comes from a fairly authentic place. Um, I'm a little skeptical about him sometimes, though. Um, I think when artists like like him and a few others, when they start playing um, some of these big festivals, they're thinking about how the sound translates to these festivals. Mm-hmm. And I think without a doubt, when you get to more processed beats instead of drummers and bass guitarists it's gonna closed out guitars i think just comes across better to a huge bonnaroo you know crowd true um another band i was talking to ben earlier today about was krungbin their their recent album (laughs) the songs are more pop focused there's vocals now 
I'm sure it's very authentic, but I think it does. They're thinking about what's the next stage of their career. What type of venues are they playing? What crowds are they playing to? And how can they maybe uh, be more, you know, yeah. um, they can communicate more to that to that audience. So I don't think it's not authentic, but I do like bring up a little bit of red flags when I see that type of thing happen. Mm. That's a really good point. I didn't really think about um, like presenting the art to the consumer in like a big area like that at Bonnaroo or some type of festival um, and that actually some of those decisions kind of make sense when you say it like that um, for me like I really like like theaters like that's like my yeah. ideal size venue right um, other than like a festival I don't really relate with arena shows I know sometimes there's no avoiding it because you have Right. <laughs> Thousands of people that want to see this artist. Right. And it's in December. Um, but yeah, my favorite artists are the ones that consistently sell out like theaters. And then they also have like the festival slot. Mm-hmm, and I feel right. like their sound totally translates. Like they might get drowned out by the bass drop at the stage down the way. But um, it's incredible. I got to see Robert Plant at Bonnaroo a couple years ago. And he was doing one of the acoustic Zeppelin songs, and you could hear like this low hum across the field. And I was like, "Yeah, I mean, that's not ideal, but he's rocking it." Yeah, yeah. That just—I'm just gonna go on a quick tangent. No, we were talking about gear earlier, and a lot of bass players are now putting octaves and synth octaves onto their pedal board so they can compete with. rap music oh wow so that because they're when you're playing through a pa and it's like it's a dj or whoever and somebody's rapping over top of that they can make that right super loud then you bring on a band and there's just gonna be a level drop mm-hmm. and especially in the bass so a lot of these bass players are trying to compete with that like real thumpy subby you know which is something i never even thought about yeah yeah i'm all about it <laughs> I love this new trend. <laughs> Who's your bass player, Adam? Adam, Adam. Yeah. All right, you, mean, got some, have, you got some money to spend. My pedal my board's guy. ready for that. Yeah, Whenever your pedal board is ready. You definitely. We're not playing that venue yet, but no. when we do, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was, I was thinking of um, just making music in the studio, you know, and thinking about the live situation. That's why, like, I've really tried to train my brain, and I think we talked about this, but like to be like. Uh, that's a future KJ problem of like how this will sound live and I know it's probably stupid but I just kind of like I want to in the studio I want to make the best presentable album I can make and when it comes to like a year later or whenever we perform it live I'm like I'll figure out how to do that with effects somehow some way or figure out how to make that synth part into a guitar part or Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. whatever you know that's a great mentality to have Um, I I learned that I don't want to say the hard way but um like worrying about what the what matters to the song in the right. studio and you yeah figure it out later i remember when we started working on our last record with the band we had all these ideas and i'm like how are we going to do this live and jeremiah was like well i mean in all fairness i'm not worried about your live show i'm worried exactly. about making a great record right yeah, that's what that's, i'm saying that's ding, fair. Ding, what it's ding. about yeah <laughs> Chris, also, I think uh, one of my favorite songs in the Overdrive Orchestra album is, uh, it's like an eight-minute song. It's called Release. Uh, 
like when you were making that, first of all, did you think it was going to be eight minutes or were you just jamming? And then two, have you ever even performed it live? Or are you just kind of like, we're always going to stay away from that? Um, we have played it live and we will continue to play it live. It's nice. not always eight minutes. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, we did not anticipate it being that length. Um, it actually started off as a, a jam when we were still a three piece and Adam and I were living down in Nashville, Tennessee. And it was a song that we thought was done, and we never got the chance to record it before we moved back. And it was not remotely done. Uh, mm-hmm. It went through a lot of changes, and it's I'm so pleased with the, the final product. Um, definitely daunting when we were done in the studio, and I am not nearly to the level of Craig Griffith on harmonica, so my harmonica soul is very different. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speaking of like, just thinking of uh, that the artist's evolving question. So I, I, I just want to kind of do a side tangent and maybe go around the room here. Yeah, let's do uh, it. Of like, what is your favorite evolution of an artist, and what is like the biggest letdown of an evolution of an artist? Uh, yeah, we have to like do some editing while I think about this. It, no, that's the, a good question. I got, I got mine. Yeah, you, you guys want me to it. go first? Yeah, 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 yeah go, go for here. Okay. I'm thinking in greatest evolution for me would be Ray Hot Chili Peppers as I'm wearing this shirt. Um, obviously, they've, a lot of people don't like The Getaway, but I, I didn't mind that album. It's not their best album. Is that the one that Danger Mouse produced? Yep, yep, It's yep. the only one That's that Rick one. Rubin didn't, yeah. or, you know, yep. other than George Clinton. Which was the last one, yeah. But I just think seeing them from, you know, 85 or 83 or whatever, like, they, they did it perfectly to me. Coming down to the latter day we got I would say that's probably the best, <laughs> the worst. I'm sorry, I hate to do this to him, but Weezer, man, uh, yeah, I, yeah. Rivers, man. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what else to say about <laughs> Weezer. I'm just gonna leave it alone. <laughs> when i think about it i'm like did their sound really change from album to album or was it really just a matter of like they didn't change enough i think it has to do with some production choices it it just got more and more polished as it went along and i think that is coincides with river's desire to sort of blend more into the pop spectrum he was doing some co-writing for a lot of pop music you know i don't know maybe 15 years ago when they started sort of changing over but yeah, I don't know. I mean, for me, the the album that they did with Rick Ocasek in it's was it the White Album. No, everything will be all right oh, in okay. the end. Yeah, yeah. I think is the name of them. I think it actually is a pretty good album. Um, it has a similar kind of vibe as the Blue Album. In terms of production and some of the songwriting, um, oh, I know which one you're talking about. It's got like a sax squatch on the yeah, cover or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 um, That's interesting though because I feel like everything that Rivers does, he's such a quirky dude. I, I think comes from a pretty authentic place, whether or not people like it or not. I mean, true. I agree with you though. I don't like their music. Yeah, it's just like you know, from Blue Album to you know what you would think would be coming next from that artist. I think that was the problem though. Like they feel stagnant to me. You mm-hmm. know, like they just didn't evolve. Mm-hmm. But some people like that. But I think this is where genre comes into effect because it's like, I mean, I don't know. It's unfair to say. I feel like Blink-182 definitely evolved, but there's a, like, I feel like if they were to do, 
I don't know. Blink-182 is a bad example. I'm like thinking, I'm like, no, they evolved a lot. Yeah, sure. <laughs> All right, I'm rambling. Chris, I want to know your... your I like your, your rambling, though. It's allowing me to think more and more. <laughs> yeah, without um, trying to think too hard about the question, I think a good example of a band's evolution for me would be Radiohead. They have come such a long way. And even, like, you could argue, like, the last couple records aren't, like, groundbreaking by any means after, like, In Rainbows. But uh, they're always pushing to do the next thing, which I can really appreciate. Um, Bad Evolution. Um, I guess, like, Green Day. Mm. Um, That's a really good one, yeah. Loved them in the 90s. I honestly, when I first heard American Idiot, I thought it was a great album. But then they've just been kind of doing that pseudo-political thing ever since, and it's just like not as good. It's yeah. like not really relevant, I feel like. Well, I heard you cry loud All the way So what would you have wanted from uh, from Green Day next? Something more authentic, I guess. Since okay, we're, so it doesn't since feel we, so it's the authenticity it, of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dookie 5.0. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, can you make a Dookie 5.0 at 40 as Some opposed to when you were 20? Some bands are kind of stuck in that situation. That, that's where, the thing, yeah. yeah. We're like, I feel like, you know, Green Day got older as artists and they couldn't make an album like Dookie because it just like wasn't in their heart of like who they were, you know? Right. For sure. I was yeah. listening to a podcast and they made a really good point and it's not very fair to the artist, but it's like... Make those three to four, five albums and just like cut the band off, right? Just be like disband, crystallize who we are at this point in time so that people just can remember us as like, this is our music. Instead of being like, now we have, and same thing with Weezer, same thing with all these, a lot of these bands from the 90s that are continuing forth. It's just like, but Green Day does a good job continuing to get new young listeners. I mean, they're... It's like a uh, yeah. pine tree. It's evergreen, you know? <laughs> here's here's one thing that I don't like that we could talk about with, with evolving artists and sound and things like that. We're going to get some um, I2? Huh? You're jumping over me. What? I didn't get my Oh, two. no. Yeah, no. <laughs> you get, yeah, no, no. You, yeah, you know, you do your best. Yeah, and worse. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, that's all right. Um, best, I would say um, I'd give it to the band Yes. Now, that's going to be a little bit of a deep cut because not a lot of people know Yes's catalog. Right. But for me, as they got like more down like the rabbit hole of Prague, now we have to cut Yes off at like the '80s when they started doing like you know they were trying to just be an '80s right. band. Yeah, yeah. But I think their albums just got stronger and stronger as they went along um, because I think they just got more and more into their capes. Um, 
bad would be the bad don't, fish. I was going to say, don't say Tame Impala, man. <laughs> no, no, no. Smack you. I'll leave off that. <laughs> I would say Fish. Um, their, their studio albums. Just, Isn't that your favorite band? Yeah, I know. But the studio <laughs> albums, just, they, don't, they don't, you know, they can't keep up with the earlier uh, um, production. Sunrise on the turquoise mountains, messenger birds in sight. They came up from the valley, both sides at a time, to the cold city rain. Rain! You got your nice shades on. Say the same for Prince, and he's my favorite. So. Yeah, I mean, live fish yeah. I think continues to get better, but mm-hmm. studio fish, um, it's fallen off. It's I think just this, they're not there for the songwriting anymore. Um, every once in a while, there's a good song or two, um, but I think they're 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 a band, they're a legacy band as well. It's like they they know their bread and butter is playing live, and they're just getting better and better at that. So I'm cool with it. No, for sure. So anyways, now we can go where you're going. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to cut you off there and like not get to you. But you actually, in your yes thing that you were talking about, um, led to what I was going to ask. So I feel like there's this trope a lot of times, or at least back in the day, uh, of once you get to a certain decade, you have to sound like that decade. Mm. So for instance, you get a James Brown in the 80s, all his stuff is like over-processed drums and just like cheesy stuff. You know, right. whatever the decade may be, um, it, it's just, uh, I don't know. How do you feel about that? Like, is an artist obligated to fit the times when they're creating music? I don't think they're necessarily obligated, um, but they definitely might feel pressured. I mean, it's hard not to want to fit in, and everybody, everybody else is doing this cool thing with reverbed out drums. You're like, man, I want to have reverbed out drums. Right, exactly, yeah. Um, but yeah, I definitely don't think it's an obligation. I think it's it's their choice whether or not they want to do that. And it could go either way. You could get left behind or they could be like, wow, they're sticking to their guns, doing their thing. Um, but then there's also like there's so many moving parts. You know, I'm sure the producers are evolving with the time. So you, right. you could True. have like your artistic vision and it could still sound like the 80s or whatever. Yeah, that's right. what it is. I think it really is the producers. Like, those, those 80s... Like, you hear an 80s song you're like, okay, this is from the yeah. 80s mainly I think a band can do it right, though. Like, I love um, Rolling Stone's Emotional Rescue. Oh, it's so like good. their disco yeah. record. Yeah, I mean, best. it's not... It's like, saying a disco record is it. kind of soft, but yeah, like but you could tell you they were trying to adjust. Mm-hmm. It's a good album. Um... I think something like Billy Joel did it well. I mean, which album? Um, I think just his transition from the '70s to the '80s. Um, I mean, whether you like him or not, I would say the same thing for Genesis. Now they had like a band change, like uh, you know, Phil Collins took over from uh, what's his name, Peter Gabriel. Peter, Peter Gabriel. Gabriel. I want to say that Overdrive Orchestra does a great cover of Sledgehammer. By the way, <sighs> I need to hear this. Okay, I so. mean it is. Didn't you guys release that live album? We did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. I've not heard. You got to check it out. I mean, Peter Gabriel, that I mean, he had a renaissance in the 80s as well. I mean, he really did. 
So I think those bands that transitioned from the 70s to 80s, some of them did it pretty well. I feel, yeah. Again, I think we keep getting back to the same point of authenticity. Where you know, right. I feel like when Peter Gabriel transitioned into the 80s, like all his stuff filled like him. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? It might not be what I was expecting, but it was like, yo, this, this works for you. Mm-hmm. You know. I also think of a band like ZZ Top. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I think they had a pretty good transition as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, I think it's a good question. I mean, it's it's tough. It's, I think it too just depends on your status. I mean, like a lot of these examples we're given are people who are like working with you know mega labels and you know pop stars. So I well, I mean, like, you know. Old Crow Medicine Show I think also suffers from it. They're like definitely like in the bluegrass world, and then they started going more into country. I think to sort of cross over to a wider audience into mm-hmm. sort of that that bigger festival stage. And then I, for me, they lost me as soon as they brought some drums in. And the, I'm like, ah, it's like, you're not bluegrass anymore. Well, don't you ever let no woman rule your mind. Don't you ever let no woman rule your mind. In a pocket full of money, oh, mama, can you feel me drawn here? Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of bands in sort of the bluegrass category that try to find the crossover into country. Now, I know it's like not a lot of territory we mine on this <laughs> podcast, but that's all right. Yeah. So, so obviously, like, we, we're all music lovers on this podcast. That's why we, have, every, we all make music, so we love music. And so, like, I want to I talk about an easy one here just to get you to know you a little better. Can you give me your top three albums and, and maybe just talk about a little bit, like, why? For sure, yeah. It's a bit of a loaded question, but... Yeah. I know. This isn't like... I don't want to say this isn't like in any particular order. These are the best albums of all Or just time. the ones that come to you. Yeah, just like, yeah, the three albums that yeah. come to you now of like this one, this one, and this one. They're For important sure. to me because of this. We're going to put you on... But yeah, we're putting you on the spot here. We're, we're going to like, you know, put you in a cannon with three albums, shoot you <laughs> off to a desert island and be like, okay. And you got five minutes to pick those albums out of your collection. Yeah, there we go. That's a good way to pin it. For sure. Um, the house is on fire. Get your <laughs> <laughs> right off the bat, um, I'd probably pick Houses of the Holy, Led Zeppelin. Mm. Easily my favorite yeah. of their records. Um, I, I always... I, I give like a disclaimer when I say this. Like, if I could pick a double album, Physical Graffiti would win. Mm. But I feel like that's cheating because there's twice as many songs, mm-hmm. and it's like old stuff and new stuff. Yeah. If we're just talking about an LP, mm-hmm. I got to pick Houses of the Holy. Um, that I mean, they had just did those first four self-titled. Like, they could have stopped there. Yeah. And it would have been fine. And then they did something totally off the wall. Like, it did not sound like Led Zeppelin four at all. Which I really respected and appreciate. Um, throwing it into a different genre completely. Uh, Kendrick Lamar, The Pimp Butterfly. And when I wake up, I recognize you looking at me for the pay cut. Bahamas, I'll be looking at you from the face down. One Mac 11, even boom with the face down. That is one of my favorites all time. A perfect record. Same. 100%. Um, I totally agree with that. Yeah. And made even more so when he released Untitled Unmastered. And I was like, this is what you didn't release? Right. Like, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's just 
incredible. Um, And then I guess for the third one, um, Grace by Jeff Buckley. Okay. Is an amazing record. It came out in like 94 or 95. That was his last one before he passed away, was it? Yeah, Yeah. it was his first and last. Yeah. It was his only one. Yeah. They dropped a like a. They did like a remastered, released. Like, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, he was working on another record, so it's not finished. It's really good for what it is. Yeah. But yeah, his only finished record is Grace. And what a crazy album! It's the only album. Yeah, he along yeah. with like Kurt Cobain. I'm. I I got. I always like. I ponder. No, what if? What it would? Oh, yeah. I, you know, when we were talking about artists evolving, like I was totally thinking of Nirvana. Of just like, man, if Kurt Cobain would have lived, eight, maybe even just ten more years, like, what would Nirvana be? See, that's why right? I go back to my like, you know, it's sad, obviously, that somebody when they pass away, but like, it's actually kind of perfect that they, like their legacy is crystallized in these small chunk of albums. For real, it's, like, it's, untou- it's untouchable. Like, yeah, I think Bradley Noel has that with Sublime. It's just yeah. like. Talk about a per. I mean, it sucks, you know, like you said, but I mean, talk about a perfect storm for him to like, that's the album that just blew mm-hmm. them up, you know, mm-hmm. to what they mm-hmm. are and what they're known for. They didn't have a chance to make shitty music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Die before you make shitty music. <laughs> or just stop. Or like, make a new band. It's okay. You can have a new band, you know? So, people so, will follow you. Chris, yeah. I want to talk. So, this is funny because I was just listening to Led Zeppelin and I was talking my wife's ear off about all this stuff too. So, Houses of the Holy. Number two for me used to be always number one. Yeah, oh. but um, Led Zeppelin three Zeppelin man, it's just got oh, everything. It's got everything yes. I need. Oh, no. Yeah, Tangerine with the acoustic man. Yeah. You got immigrant song to start yeah. the album, just mm-hmm. coming on straight hard. Uh, man, I'm gonna leave you, babe. Just a slow blues song, man. I Getting mean, you can't go wrong with any of them. You really can't. Yeah, but yeah. I'm just saying, like, Houses of the Holy was my number one, and then I was just listening to three a lot more, like over the past couple years, and I was like. This this might be my favorite Zeppelin album. House of the Holy is like right there with it. Mm. It's, no, that's a great pick. I mean, three is up there for I think all the same reasons as House of the Holy. I mean, they they got flack for like going acoustic on three. I'm like, did you not hear like ramble like, on? Babe, I'm gonna babe, leave, I'm gonna you. leave you. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's like they were headed towards that direction to do some more stuff like that. Man, that, you know what's interesting? I mean, thinking of of Zeppelin because I never really thought of it. And this is, again goes back to authenticity. But Houses of the Holy really doesn't isn't what you would expect. I mean, they got like kind of the reggae stuff on there. I think mm-hmm. even the ocean is is very interesting. And, uh, yeah, kind of yeah. more funky. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, but I never thought of Led Zeppelin as a band that like evolved, you know. But I, they really did. But they just did it seamlessly, you know. Yeah, I feel like with them, they they evolved so quickly. Um, I mean, those first four albums were released in like two years, right? Sort yeah. of back to back to back. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I think by like seventy three, seventy five, they kind of like got to where they were going, and then you could argue they didn't evolve anymore. They were mm-hmm. just kind of riding that high. Um, they did cool stuff in the studio still, but I feel like the time to catch them was like those first four years. Um, so yeah, just getting back on the albums that um, Chris picked because I love all of them too. Um, Kendrick Lamar, man, that's another evolution of an artist. Is just like 
my brain explodes when I think about Kendrick and like I was listening to him on the mixtape circuit so I hate to be this this guy like, <laughs> I told everybody but I really was I heard Overly Dedicated and uh, he had the song Pussy and Patron and he had Michael Jordan he had a bunch of songs in there where I was just telling everybody like yo this dude's gonna break out and then he had Section 80 mm-hmm. Section 80 was dope Good Kid Mad City Another classic. You get to Pimple Butterflies. Like, okay, it's solidified that like this dude is a dang genius, man. Like, yeah, he's crazy. a rising star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a real deal. I think the thing that struck me the most is like just the variety of albums that you listed. Yeah, yeah, that was a big uh, range of albums. There, <laughs> were, were you trying to do that? <laughs> I, I don't think it was intentional. Um, it's just uh, as I've done more solo stuff, yeah. I, I listen to a wider variety. Um, if you would have interviewed me like five years ago, it'd be like rock, rock, rock. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but do you feel like any of that played its way into the newest album or what you might do with Overdrive Orchestra? Oh, definitely. I'm thinking um, more of, I guess, like the Kendrick side of things. Not that like you're going to just start flowing over beats, but like, <laughs> I think even like listening to that album, there is a sense of um, not all the tracks. I mean, it's got a lot of variety on the album, but there's some bounciness to some of the things that are happening with the rhythm section. Sure. And that could just be the awesome Chris, players like, on it yeah. and like your direction and production. But yeah, there's some and, cool. And Chris, I, I told you this and I still listen to this song a lot. I can show you some on repeat, but um, Black Tea, man. May I offer you my heart, if not whole, then just a part. My purpose is my art. Will you know that since the start? there's something special about that song and just like the quality of it i don't know what it is like it's one of those songs where like first time i turned around i was like yo this this song this song is like very cool and i don't know if if it's the strat or what man but you got to tell us a little bit about that song yeah um yeah the cool thing with that one is that was like the when i first got into the studio the strat was just sitting there in the guitar stand by the wall of amps and uh, I just picked it up and was like fiddling around a little bit and then started playing the lick to Black Tea and it it felt right. We plugged it in. It sounded right. I was like, I'm not going to mess around with this. And uh, the funny thing is I usually play tuned down a half step for my voice mm. and uh, the Strat was in standard. So I just rolled with it and then ended up tuning my guitars up to standard and doing the whole nice. record in standard, which was a new thing for me. Wow, um, it's the opposite Blue Album. <laughs> right. <laughs> it is. Um, but yeah, it, it came together very, very organically. Um, there's a lot of tremolo and vibrato on that song. I think all the guitars are dialed in at a different speed, and then Dutcher even had vibrato on his roads for that song. So I think there's like an unconscious like catchiness because of all the movement. And then I think Scott just really, or Scotty, I should say, brought it home with with the drumming. I mean, the way that he builds on the beat, it starts like very simple. I think it's just kick and snare, and then he starts to add the hi-hat, starts to add more intensity. And again, he did all this without a guide vocal. Um, It was very kind of synchronistic type thing. Cool. That's awesome. 
Yeah, no, I love that song. All right, what are we looking like on time I over think we're, I think we're ready to take it home. We're ready to take it home, the All final right. question. So, so Chris, everybody we have in this podcast, we always ask them, if you're, if you're, we'll have to figure this out, your band or your solo, or, or just if you want to combine them, whatever way you want to think about right. it, if your band was a type of blank, what would it be? So for today, we have, if your band was a type of cereal, what type mm. of cereal would it be? Oh, man, that's a good question. Are you thinking about O2 for this? Are you thinking about all encompassing? O2. Is that, um, is that what we're calling it now? You can is that call what it's always that. been? It has not always been that way. Okay. But I like we, it. We needed something that was short and sweet, so I we like came it. up with that. No, I really yeah, we like that. Something out for I know, us. right? <laughs> are we talking Are we talking Overdrive or are we talking about the solo album? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to figure out. For, I mean, I could answer for both, I guess. Yeah, uh, okay, answer so for both. Do it, do it. Um, if Overdrive was cereal i think it would be um that is a tough question <laughs> that's what we do <laughs> put you in the hot seat that's why scott edits this it is yeah. it is the hot seat <laughs> i'll make it seem like your answers came like <laughs> <laughs> and he knew exactly what to say you can put like strawberry milk into your cereal if it really helps <laughs> Ooh, okay okay um i would say we're like uh honey bunches of oats <laughs> with with the almonds and then yeah i would slice up probably some strawberries or uh put some fresh blueberries in there because we're like hard rocking so you got the crunch and all mm-hmm. that stuff but there's different flavors going on like we we don't want to pigeonhole ourselves into like one style of rock we try to do it all um and then good answer yeah that's no, <laughs> a really good one yeah thank you um for for my solo stuff i would uh i guess say honey nut cheerios because that's just a damn good cereal <laughs> classic uh, it's just yeah, classic. classic yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's never let me down and like i said my intuition with my solo stuff's mm-hmm. never let me down so that's yeah those are both good i mean we've had some really good answers and i think those th- those two no add to the good answers that we've had that was great i would never went there i was thinking like you know, Apple Jacks, Frosted Flakes, you know, I wasn't thinking that deep. <laughs> are we Cookie Crisp? <laughs> I don't know what we are, <laughs> man. <laughs> uh, Cheerios, yeah. I mean, those are, yeah. I mean, there's a reason those are probably some of the longest selling cereals of all time. Yeah. Yeah. It's the only thing my daughter will eat sometimes, I feel like. Wow. Shoving her Cheerios. <laughs> Here's some Cheerios. Put on the Chris Cranick album. <laughs> and there you go. Perfect time. You know, go out and do some grocery shopping. She'll be plenty content. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for coming, Chris, and doing this. Um, It was good to get to know you a little bit better. We got, like I said, we got to play a show with you at some point in this year. And we and we are. So this this episode. Oh, we are. Definitely. Yeah. This episode should definitely be out by then. But December. Yeah, December nineteenth. Playing at Tip Top Deluxe with Overdrive Orchestra and North by North. Yeah. Well, send us out. Yeah. Chris, thanks for being on here, man. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure. We'll see you next time. Peace.